Good morning to all of you. You know, um, Pastor Tim made reference to it, the, the privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord and to be here even this morning. Uh, I know you probably, we made reference to it in the, and prayed about it, made reference to the shootings that happened yesterday, and I confess I don't know exactly the numbers of, or the statistics in Ohio, but I did see on the news this morning that in El Paso, 20, 20 people started their day yesterday and, and were killed yesterday. 26 people were also injured, and so 46 people in that incident had their lives changed, and so did everybody that knew and loved them. Can you imagine just getting up on a Saturday morning to go to Walmart and then to have that happen? Um, it's sad. But it also tells us we should never take for granted the things we have. And it also tells us that there is an evil enemy out there, the enemy of God, that is working to destroy lives. And so, I don't know, it's all pretty sobering. I'm Pastor Tim. I'm the executive pastor here at Grace Community Church. And I am uh, preaching again today. It's the second part of a three-part series. I'll preach again next week. I have had multiple people ask me this morning. I'm preaching um, uh, because Shelly Venema, the wife of our pastor John, is awaiting surgery. And I've had people ask me if we have any updates. And we don't at this point. They're in a little bit of a holding pattern. We, I'm sure they would appreciate your prayers. Um, insurance approvals, it's a new procedure, doctors, all those things need to come together, so be praying for them. Do not be deceived, part two. I want you to know if you're here today and it's the first um, time you're hearing that, I want you to know that the, the sermon that was preached last week is on our website. You can, you can hear that, or you can go there and listen to that if you would like to. Uh, but this sermon stands on its own, and I'm, I'm Confident that the Lord will have a message for you. Um, by just to give a little bit of review, last week we talked about the fa this idea. We're talking about deception, truth, all this, that it's important to know the truth. Jesus said it's the truth that will set you free. And we have a problem in our, in our country, our world, and our churches for that matter, uh, because our God has an enemy that fights against him. And they are the evil ones. I shared about that last week, that the, the evil ones are the devil and his minions or the demons that follow him. They hate God. They hate anything that God loves. They will do anything they can to destroy God's creation, you and me. Their primary weapon is lying, and they use lying to deceive. That's why we're talking about deception. The definition of deception, the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. In other words, what they want to do is they want you to believe something that isn't true. And when they are successful, they can create all kinds of chaos, broken relationships with people and with God. There's physical, psychological, and spiritual struggles Anxiety, fear, sickness, anger, deceit, addictions, death, and destruction. We could go on and on. The truth of this thing we call deception is that if you are deceived, you don't know it. 
And that's very important to pay attention to. The purpose of the evil ones are to deceive you. And they have two primary purposes with, with, with that. One is they want to keep people from entering the kingdom of God. Romans 10, 9 says, If you would confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. They do not want anyone to confess Jesus is Lord. They do not want anyone to come into the kingdom of God. They want to keep them in the kingdom of the devil. But they lose. And they have certainly lost in, the, in our case because we have confessed Jesus is Lord. So they've lost us and now their focus changes. Now, with us as believers, they want to keep us as believers from being used for the kingdom of God. Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They do not want you to be a witness for the Lord. They do not want you to be used by God. They do not want people to see Jesus through you. And they will use everything they can to violate your witness. We're going to read Acts, I'm sorry, John 8, 39 to 47 again. I'll have it on the screen behind me, although I hope if you have your Bibles, you will open and read along with me. But let me say a little something about this. And that is that Jesus is having a dialogue with the Pharisees. It is clear that these, or these religious leaders, it is clear that these religious leaders are not a part of the kingdom of God. They are a part of the kingdom of the devil. That is clear. But I would like you, they are not good people, but I would like you to try to put, try for a moment to imagine yourself in their shoes. They are people who are used to being looked up to. They are religious leaders. They are used to having people come and listen to them and, and, and kind of revere them. They think they are right. And then they find out, though, and you'll re we'll read it in a moment, is that they are actually very wrong. And think about what it would be like to have that status only to have God himself, Jesus Christ, come to you and say, you're wrong and you're deceived. Let's read the text together. Acts 8, 39 to 47. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. <coughs> this is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires." He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. 
The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are of God. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. But I would ask you the question, do you think, could you make the same mistake they made? Could you be deceived? I think it's a mistake to say, no, you can't be deceived. The Bible clearly spends a lot of time talking about the importance of knowing the truth. And it spends a lot of time talking about the possibilities of being deceived. I want to remind you that the key battleground is in the mind, what we think. I remind you that the evil ones want to keep you from being used by the kingdom of God. They want to use anything and everything they can so that your witness for the Lord is violated and useless. They want to cause you to look like everyone else. The Bible says that we as believers are aliens and strangers in this world. We are different. We are to live differently. But the evil ones want you to get caught up in the way everyone else is living so no one sees a, a difference in your life. Therefore, they can't see Jesus through you. And they will use many different things. We talked last week about false prophets and teachers. We talked about deceiving spirits. But the most sinister of them all is this thing that we refer to as self-deception. Think about it. The evil ones sometimes don't have to do anything because the Bible says that we are capable of deceiving ourselves. And so this week and next, I'm going to talk about eight self-deceptions, three this week and five next week. I hope you will come back. But we must remember that we can be deceived and we need to be on guard for our enemy is like a roaring lion roaming around waiting to steal, kill, and destroy. So let me share with you three self-deceptions today. The first one is we are deceived when we hear the word but don't do the word. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If we go on a little further and read a few passages after that, at verse 23 it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks, in, looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There's an illustration given here of the, the Bible. It's a mirror. We look into a mirror to reflect our image. The Word of God is compared to that. What I find so fascinating about this particular passage is that where it says, like a man who looks in a mirror, so often when you see man in the scriptures, it's a reference to mankind, men and women. Here, though, the word for man is not a reference to men and women. It's actually the male gender. And I'm not sure... I always am a little bit leery of looking at Scripture in light of our modern-day culture rather than the ancient culture when it was written, because sometimes things change. But I think, it's, I think it's interesting 
And I'll risk it here to say this. Is it possible that the Word of God is trying to help us to understand how we are to treat the Word of God by looking at the different ways men and women look in a mirror? When a man looks in the mirror, I can tell you, when I look in the mirror, there's not a lot to see. I don't pay a lot, I don't spend a lot of time looking in the mirror. I get up in the morning and brush my teeth, the mirror's there, and I look at myself and think, oh, I'm getting old. Oh, I wonder if everything's in place, you know what I mean? And then, and then I'm on with my life. I don't, I don't really look in the mirror too, too many times throughout the day unless I happen to have one in front of me. But women are different. Women look in the mirror because they have a lot more to see. They have a lot more to take care of. They look intently. They carry mirrors. Ladies, I am not, that, I'm not putting you down. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. In fact, I'm saying there, I think this may be used to help us to understand how we are to look into the Word of God. Men look in a, into the Word of God maybe like they look into a mirror. They look at it, they put it down, and they forget about it the rest of the day. Women look into a mirror and maybe look into the Word of God, and then they remember it, and they pay attention to it, and they keep it around. I think there's something there to be learned. Whether that's true or not, Two things are very clear. We are to be in the Word of God. It reflects how we are to live. Psalm 119, 9 to 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. If you forget it, how can you live by it? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden my, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it is clear from this passage that we aren't just to hear it or, or read it. We are to do what it says. John 14, 21 says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will show myself to him. Ephesians 5, 15 to 16 Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. How you're walking, how you live your lives. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Actually, it's 9 to 12, but I'll just do 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Do you catch that? As aliens and strangers, we are not to be like the world. We aren't to be weirdos. What it means is, though, is we live differently as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. Now, if I could give you an illustration of, of this deception, we see it happen with people that are in my profession, in the profession of pastors. All around the world today, pastors like me, have the privilege of standing up and preaching the Word of God. And unfortunately, some of those pastors we are aware of have lost their positions because of an exposed immoral lifestyle. They themselves violated the very things that they preached. And those of us who are called to preach the Word of God... Um, it's, it's, it's an important thing. We must live our lives for the Lord. This is why James 3.1 really is a, is a bit ominous and scary to some of us that preach the Word of God. Because it says, Not many should presume to be teachers, for you will be judged more harshly. 
But I need to tell you, here's where the deception comes in. The deception comes in when we look at other people like pastors and we say, they need to be that way, but I don't need to be that way. This isn't just for pastors or leaders. Every believer is called to live as the Lord intends them to live. Every believer is called not to just hear the word, but to do the word. And yet we know we have a problem with this. People don't come into the... I, I can tell you how many times I've heard it. You've probably heard it too. I don't want to go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Well, honestly, we're all hypocrites to some degree, but I understand what they're saying, don't you? That they see people living their lives, they don't see a difference in their lives, and so they don't want to come to the kingdom of God. And why is this so hard for us to understand? I think there's reasons why we struggle with hearing the word and doing it. I would say some people have a perfection complex. They fall into the trap of thinking they have to be perfect, and so when they can't be perfect, they just kind of give up. Listen, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We will never be perfect. No pastor is perfect. No leader is perfect. I don't care who you look to as the most spiritual person. They are not perfect and neither are you. But the life of a Christian is to live and to grow in their relationship with Christ. And that will happen until the day the Lord takes you home. I think some people struggle with hearing the word and not doing it because honestly, they don't want anyone, including God, to tell them what to do. They want to do what they want to do. Remember that Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And honestly, we're kind of selfish people, just want to do what we want to do. And that gets us into trouble. I think as well... <clears throat> I think as well, we sometimes, uh, maybe the biggest reason we struggle with this is because we are so good at seeing the sins in others and not seeing them in ourselves. We're so good at giving ourselves a break, but not letting anybody else off the hook. Um, Matthew 7, 1 to 5 says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Please understand this, by the way, if I could take just a quick sideline. The Bible does not say not to judge. We have to make judgments. What it's talking about is judging fairly. And so often we judge unfairly. We judge others harshly, but we don't hold that same standard to ourselves. And then it goes on to say, the measure with the... Me for the, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and all the time miss the log that's in your own eye? And then it goes on and says, first take the speck out of your own eye, then you be, first take the, take the log out of your own eye, then you will be able to see the speck that's in your brother's eyes. So, so often we want to tell everybody else what's going wrong, and it diverts from ourselves, and then we end up not doing what the Lord calls us to do. I think another reason is because I think, frankly, we're simply lazy. I think we maybe get too busy for the things of God, led astray by the world, led astray by all these other things that entice us out there. Matthew 6, 19 to 24 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, which is what we do. We chase all this other stuff out there, then we don't have time for the kingdom of God or for the things of God or for the word of God. And yet we're told to store up for ourselves treasures 
in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And finally, I think part of the reason people hear the word but don't do the word, um, I can relate to it. I can remember before I'd given my life to the Lord, I, I knew something in my life needed to change. I started reading the word of God. It made no sense to me. I knew it was maybe the truth. I started going to church. None of it made sense to me. And then when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, all of a sudden it all came alive. So I think for some folks, when they, they hear the word but don't do it, it's because they don't know the Lord. And if the Word of God does not make sense to you, it might be that you're, you've got a bigger problem, and that is that you need to give your life to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Do not be deceived. You cannot, you, if you hear the Word of God, you've got to do it. The second one is we are deceived when we say we have no sin. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And of course, we all know, or most of us know, 1 John 1.9. We commit it to memory, and we forget about 1 John 1.8. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Last week in the sermon I said, it is crazy the things people who claim to know and love the Lord believe. Somehow they believe that God is good with their immorality, their gossip, their backbiting, their divorce, and their licentious lifestyle. Now, when it comes to 1 John 1, 8, 9 and this particular deception... We are deceived when we say we have no sin. I've got to tell you, with 1 John 1, 8, and 9, there, there has over the years been a difference of opinion on this particular passage. One view, which I think is the incorrect view, says that 1 John 1, 8, and 9 is the prayer of salvation. You, you recognize that you are a sinner, and then you give your life to Jesus Christ, and you are saved, very similar to Romans 10, 9, uh, if you would confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So people that hold this view would say that 1 John 1, 9 is a one-time thing. And you therefore, and, and they, they take the view that your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven, which is true, but therefore, you don't need to continually confess your sins. And what they don't take into account is who is the we in these passages if we say we have no sin, if we confess our sins, they miss that the we is believers. They also fail to pay attention to what the word confess means. Now hang on to that for a moment and I'll come back to it. The second view the second theological view on this particular John, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, and I, what I think is the, is the correct view, is that this is a lifestyle. We believe that, that the ongoing importance of dealing with sin in our lives, we believe that sin is something we will battle with until the day the Lord takes us home, and we believe that this 
particular passage of confessing our sin has to do with recognizing the sin in our life and dealing with it. Our senior pastor, sometime in the past, spoke on this, or preached on this particular passage, gave what I thought was a great illustration of what the word confess means here. The word to confess means to acknowledge or to agree with God. His illustration, which I thought made it very clear, was like buying a home. And it could be buying anything for that matter. But when you buy a home, the, the, the person that's selling the home has a price. And then the person that wants to buy the home um, either pays that price or makes a counter offer. And at some point, the two parties agree upon the price of the home. They sign on the dotted line and the purchase is made. To confess or to agree with God in, in this view, which I think is the proper view, is that we are made aware of sin in our life and we confess it or, or we agree with God. And it moves us to repentance. It is akin to like you, if you have children, I mean children can do this and adults can do it for that matter, there's a difference between saying I'm sorry because I'm caught and saying I'm sorry because I really know it's wrong. Saying I'm sorry because I'm caught, maybe you don't think it's wrong, you just go off and continue to do it. Realizing that it's wrong and confessing that it's wrong and agreeing with God that it's wrong would naturally move us to repentance to change the way that we we've live. The truth of God's word is that while we are in these mortal bodies, we will struggle with sin. We are saints for sure. All our sins are forgiven for sure, past, present, and future. But we still are saints who sin. Romans 6, 12 to 14 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have, brought, have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. This passage clearly teaches, though, that God's people will not live in a consistent lifestyle of sin. In fact, the Scripture says they will not continue to sin. 1 John 3, 9 says, No one born of God makes it a practice of sinning. Please note it does not say that you won't sin. It says it's not a, something that you will continually practice. It's not a lifestyle. Because God's seed abides in you. And you cannot go on sinning because we have been born of God. This is this whole idea that if we know it's wrong, we move, we move, we repent and we move away from it. The deception comes when we think we can do whatever we want to do. The deception comes when we think all my sins are forgiven so I can do whatever I want to do. That is what we call licentiousness or license. Because I've given my life to Christ, this is a wrong way of thinking, because I've given my life to Christ and my sins are forgiven, I can therefore go out and do whatever I want to do. It's the disregarding of rules and standards. 
It's one who believes that license gives them the freedom to do whatever they want to do. The Lord has forgiven our sins, therefore I can go out and do whatever I want to do. And for believers, this is wrong in so many ways. I could just give you a couple of passages. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 3 John 1, 11 says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And the deception happens when we think we can do whatever we want to do, or we think that there are others that are supposed to live this way and we aren't. 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 gives the qualifications of leaders, overseers, and the first qualification says they are to be above reproach. And then it goes on, the husband of one wife, and you know, uh, not quarrelsome, uh, gentle, not a lover of money, so on and so forth. And we fall into the trap of thinking, those are the spiritual people, and I'm, I'm not a leader in the church, so I don't have to live by that. I realize we would never say that, but we live that way. And what we forget is the reason leaders are called to live that way, the reason they are called to to live that way is because they are to set an example. Why? For all of us to live that way, whether we're a leader or not. This deception allows people to leave their sin unattended, and it's very dangerous. Unattended sin in a person's life is like, is like weeds that choke out the life. You could read Matthew 13, 1 to 9, the parable of the sower. Verse 7 says, Seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. Unattended sin is like cancer that eats a person alive, left unattended. Unattended sin can affect our health, our family, our job, our friendships, and can even take our life. Do not mess around with it. Don't fall for this deception. James 1, 13 to 15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own des evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It is not something to play around with. The third one I will share with you is we are deceived when we think we are something we are not. When we think we are something we are not. Galatians 6.3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is rooted in our identity. This is rooted in who we think we are and who we actually are. Let me talk about our identity in Christ to try to illustrate we in Christ are called a new creation. We are new creation in Christ. And that is a wonderful thing. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 says, From now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That is pretty special. We are called in the scriptures children of God. That is incredibly marvelous. 
John 1.12 says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That is wonderful. The scriptures say we are seated as believers. We are seated with him in the heavenlies. Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And that is special. The problem comes when we, when we misrepresent where all this good stuff comes from. The life you live, the talents you possess, some of you possess wonderful talents, the gifts you have, the, your possessions, your family, your job, everything you have is not of your own doing. It is all an expression of God's grace in your life, and you are special because of Him, not because of you. James 1, 16 to 17 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Romans 12, 3 says, For by grace given to me, I say to every, everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The deception happens when we take credit for what God has provided in your life. Personal accomplishments should only be used to glorify the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. To not recognize this is pride. And pride is destructive. Pride goes before the fall, the Proverbs say. Pride is of the world. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pride is conformity to the world and its way. We know Romans 12, 1 and 2 that says we are not conformed to the world. Pride conforms to the world. That's what the world wants. That's what the evil ones want. They want you to think you're something special all by yourself. And everyone struggles with this. We as pastors struggle with it. We stand in the pulpit before you. And you listen. And we fight to not think of ourselves too important. Because we aren't. We're just like everyone else. People that lead us in worship struggle with it. Doctors struggle with it. Cops struggle with it. Teachers struggle with it. Parents struggle with it. Anyone in authority struggles with it. Those with more than others struggle with it. The evil ones are always trying to get you to think more highly of yourself. Do not be deceived. This breeds insecurities, anxiety, anger, prejudice, etc. I think the perfect example of this in my mind is our pastor. I'll tell you, like I said in the, in the first service, he's sitting here. I would say this to you if he wasn't sitting here. He is a man who has more education than I will ever have. He knows Hebrew. He knows Greek. When I hear him talk, 
It's just amazing to me. And yet, he often will come into my office, sit down at my desk, and say, Tim, what do you think about this? And I got to tell you, every time he does it, I think, why would you care what I think? <laughs> and you know so much more than I do. I mean, I'm, I'm being honest with you. But that is what we call humility. That is not letting what, you're, what you have or what you have accomplished to take control of you. That is the antithesis of the, of the um, deception. As we prepare for communion, I want to leave you with a passage. It's found in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. Folks, remember, the evil ones want to get you off track. Listen to the word of God. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace.